Hello and welcome to the Red Mountain Community Church podcast where you can hear conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church as we pursue Jesus together. Each episode highlights what God is doing or has been doing in someone's life or a specific theme in light of what God has revealed in the Bible. I'm Peter Franson, your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Becky Bibelheimer, our pastor of children's ministry. How are you bracing these days? Has has the has the big move started? Are, is are all the kids in the gym building now? They are. Last Sunday was our first Sunday in the gym in the new classrooms. Okay, and we're recording this on August. Uh, we're still in August, right? <laughs> August <laughs> still the yeah, longest no. month it, of the year. <laughs> August sixteenth. Um, so last Sunday, how? Did that first Sunday go? I mean, have you just, were you just bracing for it and like, oh my gosh, here we no, go? No, it was amazing. Thanks really? to Missy's organization and Kevin and Tim and Andre and Steve's hard work. Oh, that's great. Uh, the organization and help of of really the entire staff. Mm. It uh, it was it made it all extremely easy. Oh, that's great. And I appreciate Kyle's kind of uh, just reminder to be gracious and to be patient, you know, with all all the kind of changes going on. Is there anything as you kind of look at the the upcoming year? Because it's going to be about a a year, is that right, that that, uh, Children's Ministry will be in the gym building? Yes, a little longer. Okay. Uh, We're breaking ground the 16th of October. Okay. So then as you uh, as you look at that time coming up, are there any like particular challenges that you're kind of like, okay, we're going to have to take on this beast? Mm, I think just flexing with the other groups that share the space and, yeah. and just being willing to, but we all are, uh, we get along, you know, we're kind to each other and Good. I, I'm very uh, sure that it's all going to work well. Good. Good. All right, so here's a, uh, that, that was a very normal question. Now here's a weird question. It's our irresistible question as provided <laughs> it's by... It's not a joke, is it? No, no, no. <laughs> well, I don't know. You tell me. If you could have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Oh, easily ice. Ice? Yes. You were so fast on that. Yeah, there's... What? Ice, the second one would be salt. Why? I, cold drinks are very important to me. Okay. Yeah. And salt? Tell me about the salt. salt. People don't season their food well. <laughs> so uh, So you like to have a little... So I can't carry around the whole spice cabinet. Mm. So I'm just going to take the salt with me. And mm. I actually carry it in my purse. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Little okay. known fact. There you go. All right. Digging deeper. All right. So like next time we have one of those like... Uh, like uh, Picnic kind of afternoons on the lawn at the church after second service. If anybody's like, oh, this is, could use a little more salt. You just send it my way. Hunt down Becky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, these hypotheticals, I think I take too seriously because um, I, I was like, what substance? Like, I really take it like, okay, I could have some, like an unlimited supply. What does unlimited mean? Like, I just like a, like a, like a fountain of it, like it's like I could swim in it, like Scrooge McDuck or something. Um, and so I kind of went to like, well, I think money is a cheat. You know, we're not supposed to put our hope in money anyway. But I mean, if I'm honest, money, come on. <laughs> <laughs> unlimited, something unlimited. I choose $1 bills or whatever. But if I can't choose that and it has to be like a substance, then still my mind was going to like cheat things. Or like, well, how about gas? Like, gasoline could i choose that because like because that translates best into money (laughs) uh anyway um 
As a reminder, <laughs> if you feel like this was just a total dud uh, exchange, you can message us on Instagram or Facebook with suggestions for fun things we could do or talk about before the interview. Although m- my answer was lame. I really like Becky's. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to keep that in mind next time we're having uh, lunch outside the church. Uh, but for now, we uh, are going to move things along. Oh, I should mention, this is the first show that we've done in uh, a long time. First show, I think, of 2023. And uh, nothing's wrong. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine, if you've been wondering. Lots of stuff going on. Arian, who serves as our producer, uh, became a new mom. And uh, Holly and I had a whirlwind of things going on for a couple of months there. And also, at the end of the day, uh, we don't want to just like churn out shows just to churn out shows. I think every episode, we're always looking for really meaningful conversations that you guys will hopefully find interesting and valuable and ac- applicable to uh, your life um, as you pursue Jesus, and so uh, so you can you can know that if you've been wondering where the show has been, that that's really the heart of what we're doing here. Um, and we did have a really great conversation uh, just a little while ago. Becky and I spent time talking with Michelle Copeland about her experience of waiting on God to allow her and her husband to have kids. And I know that is a topic that so many. Uh, of you listening and others can relate to. So I hope that you will find some uh, real valuable things in it. Here is that conversation for you now. Well, Michelle, I'm so glad that you were willing to do this. I know this is kind of a weird thing, you know, (laughs) to like sit here in front of these microphones and um, it's a bit out of a lot of people's comfort zone. And mm-hmm, so I appreciate indeed. you just kind of stretching yourself a bit, Thank but you. I've really been looking forward to this because I mean, one of the coolest things about, about doing this podcast at the church is that there's like a lot of people were large enough as a church that even though I've been here since like, I don't know, the mid to late nineties, there are people that like, I, I know their name and I exchange sentences with them mm-hmm. every few months or something like that. Right. But I don't really know, I, I don't really know them. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of like a, I mean, very selfishly, the podcast is just kind of like Peter's <laughs> way of like getting to know people that he's either never met or people that he's got not gotten to know more deeply. Mm-hmm. So, and there's some stuff just in the skeleton that I was told in advance, the skeleton of your story that I was like, whoa, well, what? Really? I didn't know about this. So I like cannot wait to get in. So um, Michelle, could you start by just giving kind of like a snapshot uh, of your life in terms of like your immediate family, work, uh, if you're working, stage of life, just that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, so I have been married to my husband, Bill, and we'll celebrate our 38th wedding anniversary on September 1st. Oh, cool. So a little while. Uh, we do have two boys. Okay. Um, I do work full time. I work for Kevin Norton uh, doing church insurance. Oh, that's right. And I just absolutely love my job. I feel like I'm part of a thousand different church ministries. Mm. It's just because really they insure wonderful. churches. We insure all those churches yeah. and I get to work with all of them. So wow. it's just a huge blessing. How long have you been working there? Almost five years. Okay. So just love it. So cool. Had no idea about insurance when I started. Kevin's an amazing teacher, very mm. patient. Oh, nice. <laughs> and you have two boys. How old are your boys? They are 23 and 20. Okay. All right. Very relevant to what we're going to be right. uh, talking about. But yep. before we get to that, can you also just give a, an idea of like when you first came to faith in Jesus and kind of roughly how that came about? 
Sure. So I was raised in an, uh, pretty much an agnostic home. They didn't, my parents don't believe. Okay. Um, so I, I didn't believe either. And uh, when I was a teenager, we moved out to Amagosa Valley. You might have heard of that place because that's where Bob and Debbie are that's from. Right. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. And that's uh, Nevada. That's Nevada. Okay. Out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, that's yeah. what I hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So when I was a teenager, my best friend decided to be a part of the community melodrama. So there is no way I'm an actress, like no part of me. Okay. But she talked me into it because she didn't want to do it alone. <laughs> okay. And that's where I met Bill. Like when you say melodrama, do you mean like like with the, the evil guy with the top, top oh, hat yes. tying the girl to the railroad oh, tracks yes. with the piano guy? Egad, what a cad. That's wow. the name of the, the play. Nice. Yeah. So I still nice. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I met my husband, Bill. Okay. And uh, he had a reputation of being a Jesus freak. Okay. So, Wait a minute. I, so I, I missed a detail. I must have lost it. Did, was okay. he in the play? He was also in the play. What was Who was Bill playing? He was actually playing just a random character. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was the heroine. He wasn't my oh, hero at that point. Okay. Did you get literally tied to railroad tracks? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, so, you yeah, met, so that's where you met Bill. That's where I met Bill. Okay. And I told him, I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear your Christian music. Mm. Don't read the Bible to me. I want none of that Mm -hmm. because I did not believe. But he was really cute. So I did did want to spend time with him. And so every day he would give me a ride home from practice. And he, of course, is not a rule follower. He would talk about Jesus every day. He would play his Christian music. He would even pull over on the side of the road and read his Bible to me. Oh, wow. And so, um, and then him and Bob and Debbie began praying for me. Okay. So, you know, you got three prayer warriors. Didn't take long. Um, And then I also realized the truth about hell. I thought Mm. hell was kind of like a party place Mm. and realized it really is not. Mm. Yeah. It's yeah. a pretty horrible place, and I did not want to go there. Yeah. So, so it was only a few months, and I became a Christian. Wow. So, so I started listening to Bob give sermons back when I was 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. I see. I didn't even know that wasn't even the <laughs> list of things that surprised me that I knew in advance. Like that's the first time I, if I knew, I forgot that you guys were like were part of the, like the the background of mm. of Bob and Debbie. Yes. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So. That almost like negates, well, I can almost predict what you're going to say for one of my future questions, but we'll get to that when we get there. <laughs> okay, so um, one of the things that I did learn beforehand that surprised me was that you and Bill served in the mission field for a while. Yes. That yeah. was complete news to me. So <laughs> where did you serve? When roughly was this? What was the day-to-day nature of the work? Just tell me a little about that. Um, yeah, so Bob and Debbie left Amagosa in 1990-ish okay. to start Red Mountain. Okay. So we were still out in Nevada, and we okay. felt like our family had left. We mm. had, like, no reason. And then that was when the wall came down. Oh. This, And so we thought, well, let's go to Romania. The, uh, the, the Berlin, Berlin Wall. wall. Yeah. I was like, that's the only one I know about. I hope that's... <laughs> right, yep, that's it. Okay. Yep. So the first country to open up was Romania. And so okay. we thought, well, we can go to Romania. They haven't heard about Jesus. And, uh, but by the time we found an agency to go with and began the process of it, the Soviet Union had opened up. And mm. so we thought, well, there's even more millions of people there who haven't heard about Jesus. Wow. And so we ended up going to Kazakhstan, the second largest republic in the Soviet Union. 
down to the capital of Almaty. Mm. We landed there in 1992. So we had been married for six years at that point. We did not have children. Okay. Um, and uh, our day-to-day life was studying Russian, uh, doing Bible studies with the kids, and daily life. Like, this is back when the Soviet Union just fell. Mm. Like, you were standing in bread lines for three hours. Mm. It was, it was wow. a rough life. Wow. We had no toilet seat when we got there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Good grief. Just a but, hole in the ground? Yeah, no, it was toilet. There was just no seat on it. So it oh, was wow. a piece of cardboard. But when we <laughs> found it at the market, the local market, we bought three, just in case anybody else we knew needed one. Because so, by the next day, they'd all be gone. Oh, kind of thing. So there was no regular stores there or anything like that. It was, it was quite an adventure. Wow. And we were alone for the first five months before we got some teammates. Okay. And then we began the process of teaching English as a second language. We okay. hosted music camps. We hosted medical camps. Wow. So a lot of interesting stuff. Oh, my gosh. And helped yeah. to plant a church. So. And how long were you over there for then? So there, we just lived there two years. Okay. And then we had gone to England for two years after that. And we okay. still worked in Central Asia, but our, uh, but we lived in England and that's part of the rest of the story. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is blowing my mind here. Okay, so then when did you and Bill start coming to RMCC? I mean, like what got you from, you had that connection with them in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then what led you to Arizona and mm. to be part of RMCC? And and I suppose probably along with that will be the answer to the question, why stay committed here for so long? Mm. You guys have been here as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so Red Mountain was one of the first churches that supported us as missionaries. Okay. And so uh, when we would come home on furlough, we always visited the church okay. um, and gave our report of what was going on. And, of course, Bob and Debbie had always supported us. In fact, they were the very first supporters that even supported us to be missionaries. Okay. So, so we started, we came back here in 1996 from the mission field. Okay. Bill had been offered a job and... Well, we felt like Bob and Debbie were really our family, so. Okay. So that's why that's, we came here. Okay, that sounds vaguely familiar. And now, why we'll always be here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I graduated in from high school in 96. And I think maybe when I first started kind of hearing the last name Copeland and mm. some stuff like that, it was probably, that sounds about right. But. I remember you singing up on stage oh, at yeah. a women's ministry event. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> Um, Okay, so uh, as I understand, a significant part of your faith journey is related to the struggles that you and Bill had starting a family. So Mm -hmm. can you tell me a little about the experience of not being able to have children and maybe some of what you guys were praying through, what you were struggling with Mm -hmm. in that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we had been married for eight years before we decided to have a family because we married young we didn't feel any need to rush mm-hmm. and then we went on the mission field so it was a uh, it was kind of very good that we hadn't had children yet yeah but after we were there in Kazakhstan for about a year and a half we decided yeah it was time to have kids and so in November of 1993 that's when we decided let's let's try okay so uh, we started trying, but um, we had a furlough scheduled to come home in May of 1994. Okay. And we hadn't gotten pregnant yet, and so we came home, and I think it was June, we did get pregnant. And okay. so um, very, of course, excited as as you are when you've been trying at that point for six months. Mm. Um, 
and saw the heartbeat and everything was good and we went back uh, six weeks later i think but there was no heartbeat mm. and so um you know had a miscarriage and i remember sitting on the beach with debbie uh bob and debbie visited with us on the beach in california and debbie said you know god god is in control of even this he mm. does have a plan and at the time, I just wanted someone to feel sorry with me, mm, for me. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, I didn't want to hear that. But such wise words, mm. you know, and really helped me. Because Debbie has experienced some things, too, that I knew that she knew my pain. Mm. And so uh, really needed to hear that. Like, trust God. Mm. You need to just be trusting God right now. When, so. when, how long, if you remember, did it take for those words to become valued by you i mean initially mm. was there like a just a recoiling mm-hmm. and like just like a mm, yes you know there's a hardness there yes. initially mm-hmm. and then was it quite was it a matter of days mm. weeks months years probably probably a week or so okay yeah just took a little while to soak in okay yeah and then so we went back overseas um and began trying again and this time we'd gone to england because partly because of the trouble with pregnancy, but also Bill wanted to mentor under the international director who was living in England at the time. And we were just working in, in uh, Central Asia, like mm. coordinating work there, but, but Bill was being mentored. Okay. But it took a whole nother year to get pregnant again. So this time it was in July of 1995 that I found out I was pregnant. Okay. Um, had gone to the hospital because of some complications and they told us it was an ectopic pregnancy. Okay. You'll have to remind me what that means. So it, the pregnancy's in your fallopian tube. It's not viable. Oh, okay. And so, you mm. know, that just, it fixed itself. And, mm. and so, um, that was in jo- uh, July of 1995. And then in June of 19, we still didn't get pregnant again in June of 1996. We came back to the States. Um, Bill's dad was dying of cancer mm. and felt like we should be here to help take care of his mom and um, probably get some better medical care. And so that was June of 1996. Um, and so then we we started, we met with a fertility specialist and he, he put me on some medicine for like six months, still nothing, still nothing, still nothing. Finally, they did a very, very painful test where Mm. they see if your tubes are open. Mm. And sure enough, they were closed. And he said, well, it's not a a big deal. We can open those tubes. We'll do a little surgery. It'll be fine. Okay, let's do that. And so we did that. And um, then we tried again for a number of months, number of months, number of months, nothing. And they said, well, let's try the test again. And sure enough, the tubes were closed again. Mm. So he told us our only option at that point would be like in vitro or possibly adoption if we wanted to do that route. Mm. But uh, so that was our option at that point. And um, and that had been, I think that was four years at that point of mm. trying. Mm. Um, and I wasn't really keen on doing in vitro because there's just a lot that goes into that, not just financial, but... Uh, hormones that you have to take Mm. and the Mm -hmm. cycle it's just and I have to say that one of the hardest parts of infertility is the every month hoping Mm. and being crushed Mm. hoping and being crushed Mm -hmm. and that was five years of that four years of that so that was probably one of the hardest parts of infertility Mm. was and and you know 
I didn't want kids for eight years, and then I wanted kids. Mm. So my prayer was, God, you finally gave me the desire, mm. but you're not giving me the gift. Yeah. Why? Why? I didn't understand. I mean, I trusted him that he had a plan, mm-hmm. but in the waiting, you just you're just asking why. Mm. So yeah. Do do you um, in trusting him, and then, and then at the same time asking why? Um, did you, do you feel like you were, I mean, relatively speaking anyway, um, in relationship in, uh, in growing in relationship with God, would you say this was something that kind of like was that kind of halted your growth or like, how would you describe your relationship mm. and interactions with the Lord mm. in your prayer life and in scripture reading all those, all these different faith things that we mm. do to develop mm. our, our spiritual maturity with the spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how would you describe the, that whole sector of your life mm. during this time? That's a good question. Um, I, I mean, uh, at the time that you're going through it, you feel like you're still growing because you're doing all the disciplines. You're going to Bible study, you're praying, you're in a small group, all of those things, you're faithful to church. And so you, you would say that you're probably growing, Yeah. but I think that question in the back of your mind that you have for God kind of, kind of limits that mm. because you're not fully trusting him. Mm. Um, and so if you're not fully trusting him, then you can't, can you fully grow in him? Mm. I think, I think you kind of hold yourself back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at some point, um, I don't know if there's more about this period to talk about if there is, we can, but, um, otherwise at some point you guys, as I understand, came really close to adopting, but Mm. that ended up not happening. Mm. Um, so I don't know if this would be a good point to Mm kind of get into that. If you could tell me some of what happened in that situation, how you guys were feeling about Mm. it and praying Mm -hmm. through it and just all that. Sure. So it was 1998, um, at this point and we decided, well, we're going to adopt then because I don't want to do in vitro. Yeah. Natural is not an option. We'll just adopt. Because we'd been to all of the orphanages in Russia, in Kazakhstan, and we saw all the children there, we thought, well, let's just get a baby from Russia. Mm. And so we started the process of trying to figure out which organization to go with, how that looked. And at the same time, Melissa Fox, Kyle's sister, um, had just started Biola okay. uh, University, and she's a softball pitcher. And so she had just started there playing softball, and she came home, I think, for Thanksgiving, something like that. Okay. And she told her parents that there's another girl there uh, playing softball with them who is not only pregnant, but very pregnant. Okay. And so, of course, Biola had her leave school, but uh, they lived, she and her family lived in Nevada, and they um, we were seriously considering adoption. Mm. And would we be interested? Wow. Mm. Like, wow, this yeah. is falling in our lap. Yeah. How amazing was that? Yeah. And so they, the, the mom is 18 years old. The father of the child is 17 years old and still a high school, uh, senior in high school. Okay. Um, and so, uh, they, we had a phone conversation with them because they were, they wanted an open adoption. Okay. And, uh, they, meaning for those who are not familiar with that term that uh, they want a relationship with whoever adopts their child, mm-hmm. their son, yeah. um, that they that the child knows them and mm-hmm. that it's an open relationship. So yeah. it's not not a secret. Yeah. Okay. And so um, they were they were interviewing, I think, three other families. Okay. Um, and so 
just had a phone conversation with us in December and then asked if we could come visit and meet the family. So we, we said sure. And so it was right over Christmas break and we drove up to Nevada and we showed up at their doorstep, I think early morning, like 11-ish. And it was supposed to be like a one to two hour meeting. Well, her family, it was her family's house. Her parents invited us in. Her brother was there. The whole family's there. We met them, just hit it off immediately. Like it was just a really neat experience. We played games with them all afternoon. Mm. They invited us to stay for dinner. They invited the father's uh, parents over that night so we could meet them as okay. well. So we met everyone. We were probably there like 10 hours. It wow. was a long day mm. and felt really good because mm. obviously a great connection between her family and us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we left. They had another family interview the next day. So we knew we wouldn't hear right away. So yeah. we came home and a few days later we got the phone call that we were we were the ones they chose wow and so um you know after five years we were just over the over the moon yeah it's just our dream come true wow. finally gonna get a baby yeah so he's due in in january okay and also one of my dear friends here was pregnant and due in january and so we're still at this point in the story in november or this december. was december this was december okay mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay. yep, december right at christmas okay and so she's doing a month or yeah. less than a month yeah okay and so we're getting everything ready uh to have the baby and um so my friend is due and she calls me on january 12th because i'm supposed to videotape the birth for her mm. and so i rush to the hospital i videotape the birth of her son my dear friend i get home and there's a message on our answering machine and our baby boy had been born oh, the okay. same day. Wow. So, you know, it just felt like God was orchestrating all of these amazing events. Yeah. Um, and I was just so overjoyed. So that is on Tuesday. Okay. And by law, the mother cannot sign um, the separation of her parental rights for 72 hours. That's okay. a law. Okay. The father can sign at any point, but he had not yet. Okay. And so we had bought our plane tickets. We were on our way to pick them him up on Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got a phone call on Thursday that the father had changed his mind, mm. that he was not going to sign the paperwork. Mm. But we were dealing with the uh, adoption agency, and they said, this is not uncommon. We, you know, he's still talking to us. We're mm-hmm. pretty sure by over the weekend he'll sign, plan to come up on Monday. Okay. And so, you know, the weekend was was unsettling because yeah. we thought we definitely had the baby and yeah. now we find out we, we may not. But in my mind, God had orchestrated every single detail up to that point, even my friend's baby being born on the same day. Like, it has to be his plan that we get this baby. It's mm-hmm. just part of the story, mm-hmm. this little glitch. It's just mm-hmm. part of the story. Yeah. Well, Monday came and no, he was not going to sign. Hmm. And so, so the mom ended up keeping the baby and they weren't together anyway. And so, yeah, it was, it was absolutely devastating. Mm. It was by far harder than the miscarriages had been because Mm. we were just a few hours away from a baby. Yeah. That was a really hard part. Man. Do you remember kind of in the aftermath of that, uh, what kinds of things you were thinking about or praying about, thinking about God, your relationship with him, um, 
or what kinds of things you were praying about? Do you mm. remember kind of the character of any of that? Well, the one thing that I remember in particular was that because it wasn't our child, our biological child, mm -hmm. I felt like God could have orchestrated this because it wasn't the right child for us. Mm. Because maybe something in the personality or a family hit, whatever the reason, I just it was easier to accept the fact that God had closed that door because it wasn't our biological child. Mm -hmm. um, because maybe God knew something that I didn't know about this child, that it just wasn't the right fit for our family. Yeah. And so in that, I trusted him. It was more painful than I can even imagine. Mm. But I trusted him and his sovereignty in that part because yeah. I thought he, he does know what is a good fit for our family. Mm. And so I, I just, I'm going to trust him in that. Yeah. Not that that took the pain away. Yeah. But do you remember what you did with some of those, like the thoughts you just described to me? Now, I don't know if this is kind of like maybe your reflections now or thoughts that you were having at the time, but you kind of talked about how boy, God just seemed to be orchestrating these yes. things. And this birth was on the same day. And like, yes. based on your perspective, you're like, well, surely yes. this is lining up. I know what God wants and what he's going to bring about. Right. So what did you do with those thoughts, having felt like yeah. you were seeing all these signs and mm -hmm. indications, mm -hmm. and then suddenly your your whole idea of your ability to kind of read God and mm -hmm. what he's up to right. just seemingly went out the window. Yeah. What Do you remember what you were kind of doing with those thoughts? Um, yeah, I don't. I just giving them to him. Mm. I just... Uh, I just, again, just felt like there must be a reason. Mm. It's got to be part of the story that mm -hmm. you're you're writing for this whole thing in my life. It's got to be part of the story. Wow. I don't understand it. Yeah. But I trust you with it. Wow. So, yeah. Um, okay, so the sons you have now, those are biological sons? They are. Of, of you and Bill. Yep. Um, so can you share what changed that made that possible? And, and, and then also kind of like, your perspective and feelings on the timing of that mm. for you guys okay. in light of all that you'd, you'd yep, been through. Gone through. This is the good part of the story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been riveted the whole time. So. <laughs> um, so that was January okay. of 1999. Okay. So by about March, I told Bill, okay, I'm ready. Let's, let's try another adoption. Let's get out there. I'm ready to go. He said, mm, I'm not. Mm. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. And I said, well, what are we going to do? Just sit around with no kids? Like, what's what's the option here? He said, I just do not want to want you go through that pain again. It was mm. too hard on me. It was hard on him, his own grief. But then I, as a man, you like to fix it when your wife hurts, right? Yeah. And yeah. he couldn't fix it. Mm. And he didn't, he didn't want to see that again. Sure. So he said, I really think we should go to another fertility specialist. And I tell you what... There is nothing that was further from my mind than to do that again. Mm. I had zero desire to do that again. That mm -hmm. that emotional roller coaster that happened every month, mm -mm. Yeah. I did not want to do that. Mm. Like no desire. But what was the option? He wasn't going to go forward with the adoption. So we just sit here and wait until he changes his mind. Mm. So, you know, the Lord kept bringing the verse to mind wives submit to your husbands as mm. is fitting in the lord mm. and that was the thing that i had to hold on to mm. i said lord there is nothing in this that i want but i gotta trust you mm. that if i submit to my husband right now that 
it will be for for your glory and for your benefit hmm. because I don't want to do it hmm. at all. Wow. That's super countercultural, what you just said. Right. That is yeah, super countercultural. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the Lord was was at work in that. I mean, there's a reason he gave that me that scripture. And mm. so and so we did go to a new specialist in Scottsdale. And when we met with him, he said, um, yep, your your tubes are closed. There's mm-hmm. there's no no going about that. But I have I I also do that same surgery and I do it differently than most doctors and my success rate is better. Oh. So we could give that a try. I said, "Okay. I mean, what else am I going to do, right?" Yeah. Oh. So this is May by this point. I have the surgery and he does the procedure and he tells us, "Now don't even think about getting pregnant for at least 3 months. It's not going to happen. You're all swollen inside. Just put it out of your mind. Just Put it that way. So that was kind of good. It, it helped not be on that roller coaster yeah. for the three months. Yep. And then at the same time, Nancy Braun, who was in charge of women's ministry at the time, came to me and asked me if I would be willing to teach a women's Bible study. Hmm. So you know that thing about being out of your comfort zone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so teaching is not my gift. Mm. But, um, but I felt like if the Lord... Had led her to ask me, uh, you know, I'll follow through with it. And so see, she suggested doing the study Experiencing God. Have you yes. heard of that? Yes, I have. It's been a while, but yes, I it's have. It's been a while. So I had done that earlier just as uh, in a small group Bible study. Okay. But this time they, they wanted me to actually lead the, the women's Bible study and do that study. And this was in the beginning of the summer. And so I'm preparing through the summer. And then the study starts in August. Okay. And um, so I just I'm just going to read really quick the tenets of that study because okay. I think it's uh, it's important to the story. Hmm. So there are seven points that experiencing God talks about, and it's it's one God is always at work around you. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. God invites you to become involved with him in his work. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Mm. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Mm. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing, and then you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. So those are the seven key points, and most people are challenged about point number five, that God will lead you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Mm-hmm. But that is not the, the point that God had for me. Mm. Um, so the point that God had for me was point number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Mm. Everybody knows God loves us, right? Yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah. Okay. But this took it to a whole new level. Mm. So I just want to read uh, two little paragraphs from the study because it changed my whole life. God's nature is love. God can never function contrary to his own nature. Hmm. 
Never in your life will God ever express his will toward you, except that it is not an expression of perfect love. Hmm. He can't. He can never give you second best. Hmm. Interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. His nature will will not let him. And then the other one, the other paragraph that got me was, if you really believe that God is love, you will also accept the fact that his will is always best. His will is always best Mm -hmm. because he operates out of love. By nature, God is omniscient, all-knowing. He has all knowledge, past, present, and future. Nothing is outside the knowledge of God. Whenever God expresses himself to you, therefore, his directions are always right. Whenever God gives you a directive, it's always right. God's will is always best. You never have to question whether his will is best or right. It is always best and right. Mm. And this is true because he loves you and he knows all. And so, you know, I knew that God loved me, that he died on the cross for me. But when it came to having children... I felt like he was giving me his second best. Mm. I did not feel like it was his best. I thought if he was giving me his best, I would have kids right now. Yeah. So this must be his second best. Mm. He must he must not want me to, to be happy. Mm. I don't know. And that finally hit me that if God had not given me children, that that was the best for, him, for me. Mm. That was his perfect will for me. Mm. I couldn't see it. All I could see was this overwhelming desire to have kids. Overwhelming. Mm. Not what was best for me. I don't I have a limited knowledge of what's best for me. I can only see what's here right now. Mm-hmm. God can see what's best in the future. Mm. And so if his will, what he thought was best for me was that I never have kids, do I trust him with that? Is that his love? Mm. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, yes. I have to trust that God's will is best. If that means I never have kids, then that means I never have kids. Mm. He has another plan for me, but it's his best. It is the best. Mm. And I think that's the the thing that uh, I would encourage others with, is that if you're not getting what you want, you probably don't have peace in your life because mm. you're waiting, you're mm. wanting, you're asking, mm. instead of just resting knowing that God's love is perfect and his will is perfect. Mm. Trust him in that. If you will trust him with that, you will have peace. Mm. And, um, and yeah. And so that was about September when I came across these verses okay. uh, in the study. And I got a call from the doctor in September because they did that painful test again. Yeah. Uh, and one of my tubes was still open. Okay. And so there was hope. Okay. So that means that I had six chances within the year okay. to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he wanted us to do something called GIFT, which is a modified in vitro. Okay. We said, yeah, we're just going to keep trying mm-hmm. ourselves. And so by November, I uh, had a positive pregnancy test. Wow. And so wow. Graham was born in July of 2000. Okay. And then Reed was born in November of 2002. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> so God God had a plan. Uh, and when I finally accepted that 
his plan was perfect, and I didn't need kids to be in his perfect plan. When mm. I finally accepted that, I think then he was like, okay, you finally learned your lesson. Yeah. You got to trust me. Mm. You got to trust me. Mm. And I think, you know, Kyle's sermon from last Sunday, all about trusting God, just just perfect point. You know, you, the, the end of the day, God just wants us to trust him, even mm. when we cannot see the end. Even when we think we've been promised something and we're not seeing it through, you gotta just trust him. Yeah. Because he's perfect. Wow. <laughs> Have you, over the years, just interacted with other women and shared this story? Maybe women who have been who are going through the same thing or who are waiting on other things. Is that, is, have you mm-hmm. found that to be part of your experience since then? A few times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not, not a lot, Okay, but a few times. Um, mm-hmm. y- you might've already kind of hit on this, but I, I, I just want to ask again to bring it to the surface. If, if you think of like, um, maybe some kind of takeaway that of course everybody's situation is different. And so, you know, um, you know, we don't just want to like come up with one pat, answer and response to everybody who's mm. waiting on the Lord for mm. something in their mm-hmm. life. But, mm-hmm. but if it, if it seemed fitting after hearing an individual story, can you think of maybe a takeaway that, that you've, uh, mm-hmm. come away from the experience mm-hmm. with that you might pass along to someone who is in a, a place of waiting for something mm-hmm. uh, for a long time on the Lord for mm-hmm. him to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it would just be that the the thing of trust is is the key. Because uh, when we're waiting, we're waiting. We have our eyes on ourselves. Mm. Often, we have our eyes on others. I know that when I was struggling, everyone I saw was pregnant or had a baby. Everyone. Mm. <laughs> and so you know, your eyes are on others. Your eyes are on yourself. Um, and it's really important. To in it to be able to experience God's peace in the waiting, is to keep your eyes on Him, mm. and and you can only do that through His Word, you know, He's the one who's faithful and true, and when we're not in the Word, having that truth reinforced every day, mm. we tend to look at ourselves and look at others. Mm. So I would just say, it comes down to trust. It comes down to trust and uh, looking to the Lord only Mm. for that answer. And only he can give that peace. And he won't give that peace until you're able to fully trust him. Mm. Yeah. Because other than that, we're just, we're, we're wanting, we're, you know, it's nagging us. Yeah. You have that pit in your stomach. Why aren't I not getting what I want? Yeah. And so if we can get to that point where we're saying, okay, I trust you, Mm. then then he's willing to and not that he doesn't answer but give us you know gives us that final direction like mm-hmm. he always answers it just may not be the answer we're waiting for mm. yeah mm. so but i think by that point you're willing to accept what the answer is that he has for you mm. because you're trusting him so yeah it seems to come down to trust mm. so. well thank you for that um yeah. Becky, is there anything that uh, that we didn't touch on that you're uh, that's on your mind? Nothing that you didn't touch on. I'm I'm just struck by the way that um, the Lord meets us in our pursuit of Him, and so mm-hmm. even as you stepped into that position of of teaching that Bible study, mm-hmm. and we're willing to be obedient to that, and then the actual text of the book, 
he used mm -hmm. to speak to you in such a profound way, mm -hmm. those two paragraphs. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's such an incredible testimony of mm -hmm. how when we continue, um, and you you talked about the struggle of that mm -hmm. and very honestly, and, mm -hmm. and I appreciate that, but he, he stepped in and met you mm -hmm. in that uh, place. And I, I think that's an incredible testimony of, of his grace to us. Amen. Well, Michelle, thank you so much oh, for coming out of your comfort zone <laughs> and uh, revisiting this. I appreciate just kind of like right. the, the, the wisdom, the perspective that you've gained and uh, your ability to articulate all that. So thanks so much. Appreciate mm. it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed hearing Michelle's story. And uh, as I was saying, you know, before we were recording, I, I wish sometimes that I could have like an Arian. Arian kind of serves as our producer for the podcast who could just line up conversations for me. Because like, you know, when I, because, you know, Michelle is someone that I have uh, exchanged a few sentences with every few months here and there for a couple decades now, you know, but not gotten into the deep stuff. And, and I'm the type of weirdo that'd be like, okay, you know, yeah, sure. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about quote unquote how your week was or whatever. But like, I don't know. I know I don't think about the weather. I don't know how to answer those questions. Can, how about we just get into the the deep stuff of life? And so, it was really cool for someone whose name I've known, whose face I've known for so many years, to just kind of get into some some deeper stuff about her experience and her faith, especially through something like that. Um, is there something uh, that in particular that stood out to you, Becky, about that conversation? Yeah, I think the issue of trusting God. Mm. Uh, in our walk with Christ, we we get to that place. Uh, she talked about the the crisis of faith point as point number five in from from the book Experiencing mm -hmm. God. And I, I do think that repeatedly through our lives, um, Yahweh brings us to places and He asks us that question: Are we gonna Are we gonna trust? Mm. Are you gonna trust me? And yeah. uh, and so that that was predominant in her talk that she had made that decision to to trust Jesus throughout her life. Yeah. And I think key to that trust as she brought it out was something that stood out to me in what she said was that just kind of the realization dawning on her in a fresh way that God has an individualized love for her, you know, and for each of us. And I think that there's a lot we read in scripture that that talks about God loving the world and loving people there's there's it's usually a plural noun just when God is just when when God the the, the object of God's love is described other than like individual stories and stuff and and I think in recent years what's been valuable to me and helped affirm in my mind his individualized love which is so key to trust I think is um uh, is verses that talk about us as children, you know, um, because I mean, I, I only have two kids, but I mean, plenty of people have many more kids than I do. And they would each say that just having more kids doesn't mean that you love any of them individually less. You still have this very specific individualized love for each of them. And so that's been, that just reminded me of how valuable that process has been to look for those child verses, those mm. child comparisons in scripture, you know, when God talks about us being his children, they're like, okay, so that means, you know, part of that, that idea is that he has an individualized love for me. Mm -hmm. And, and her connecting that to trust, 
it's just like, yes, of course. That's mm-hmm. that, that that makes such perfect sense. Um, so I appreciated her just sharing that kind of realization really connected with me. Um, okay, well, I think that's it for this episode of the Red Mountain Community Church podcast. You can follow Red Mountain Community Church on Instagram and Facebook, where you can also leave us comments and suggestions to help make the show better. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on the next episode. And if by chance you want more of me blabbing on topics relevant to Christian geeks, you can check out my personal weekly show, the Christian Geek Central podcast. In the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. And I'm Becky Bebelheimer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Sunday. 